Welcome to another episode of Investing Compass. Before we begin, a quick note that the information contained in this podcast is general in nature. It does not take into consideration your personal situation, circumstances, or needs. Now, Mark. Yes, John. You had another Aussie classic. I did. This was actually my favorite so far. Oh, really? I mean, there's only been three. I don't know how long this list of Aussie classics is. No. <laughs> we'll just continue until we run out. Um, but you tried a wagon wheel. Yes, I did. And? I thought it was quite good. You rated, what did you rate it out of 10? I gave it an eight or nine, I believe nine. I said. Okay, so split the difference at eight and a half. Eight and a half, that's sounds I did, fair. And I did ask comparatively, what did you think of a moon pie, which is like a US equivalent? Yeah, I mean, they're a little bit different, but yes. I, How would they be different? I rated that lower. Well, moon pie <laughs> is a little larger, but anyway, I, I did rate that lower. So you have a lot of satisfaction. I do, yes. Well, what you had was actually a mini wagon wheel, the original ones. So I gave one to Will as well. And Will asked me where the OG ones were, which were like really big. And and where where was it? Where are they? Well, I don't know. I could only find these ones. So. <laughs> I'm sure you scoured every store in Sydney. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right. So we're going to do another sector review today, Shani. Mm-hmm. And we are going to review a sector that has been in the news a lot lately. It's a sector that many investors hate, but also one that they can't stop talking about. So something many people wish they didn't have, that didn't have a big influence on their lives, but one that most people can't get away from. So Shani, it is the Kim Kardashian of market <laughs> sectors. I think you need to like limit your pop culture analogies. Maybe stick to history, something that's like more in your circle of competence, as Warren Buffett would say. Um, yeah. Well, most of my analogies, Shani, are actually about movies, but you haven't seen any. So I assume that you've heard of Kim <laughs> Kardashian. So I wanted to do something that was relatable for Look, you. I'm not going to apologize for having good taste. Good taste. Yeah. So last night, not, not last night, last week, you did a movie night at your place and mm-hmm. you had your sister over and you watched Hocus Pocus. <laughs> and... Not only did you watch Hocus Pocus, you did a double movie marathon night and you watched the sequel to Hocus Pocus, which is, I think it's just astounding that there is a sequel to Hocus Pocus. <laughs> Mark, it's called nostalgia, a nostalgia for my childhood, kind of like when you read books from the 1920s. <laughs> okay, well, I'm going to ignore that. We're going to talk about energy because energy is the sector that we're covering today. The Kim Kardashian of market sectors, Mark. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. See, now you're on board okay. with this uh, with this whole thing. So we'll get into the energy sector. It's a group of shares that relate to producing and supplying energy. And as I said earlier, it's a sector that's very controversial right now. That's right, Mark. So many of the companies that are in this sector are involved in oil and natural gas production or in coal production. You have to be living under a rock to not know that there is a passionate debate going on right now about the pace of the transition to a lower carbon world. And a debate that, of course, is very pertinent to Australia and Australians, as we are a large exporter of coal. And we'll get back into that debate in a second, because it certainly has implications for investors. But first, why don't we take a step back and look at the sector in general? As we mentioned, this sector is involved in oil and natural gas production, or in coal production. When investors are speaking about the prospects of the energy sector, it's often linked with the expectations for the price of crude oil, of which there are a few types. 
Yes. So you might have heard terms like Brent crude oil, which is often quoted as a price. But Shani, there are six main types of crude oil, and they have very strange names and descriptions. We have light sweet, light sour, medium sweet, medium sour, heavy sweet, and heavy sour. What kind of oil category do you think you'd fall into, Mark? Well, I wish that I was in the sweet category, but I probably fall into the sour (laughs) ones. Um, But as strange as the names are, one of the most common is sweet and light, which is Brent, which is a type that's easy to refine into diesel and gasoline. So markets pay attention to the price of crude oil because it's an indicator about the cost to produce energy and ultimately the margins that companies can maintain. And when we look at our expectations for Brent crude oil, we believe that the price will retreat by around 30% by 2024, not to mention an extreme pullback on the price for liquid natural gas by 2024, which has been at unprecedented highs that were never going to be sustainable. But let's look at how we got here and some of the characteristics of the sector. Well, traditionally, the energy sector is extremely cyclical, meaning that during times of economic expansion, the demand for energy rises, which drives up prices and means energy companies tend to do well. During times of economic pain, the demand for energy falls, which dents prices and means that energy companies tend to not perform as well. And we've seen the cyclicality at play in the last couple of years. As economic activity slowed during COVID restrictions, we saw big falls in the prices of energy. On April 20th, 2020, the US oil benchmark turned negative for the first time in history. Now, these negative prices were futures contracts, and it resulted from a panic from holders of these contracts who did not want to take delivery of oil because they had nowhere to put it. They had nowhere to put it because demand had dropped so much that a lot of the storage facilities were full. And during COVID, the demand for oil dropped by a third. And obviously, this is a really unique situation, but it still shows the impact on energy consumption as economic activity slows. And as the economies opened up, we saw demand increase significantly. By early 2022, demand had increased so much it exceeded supply by 2.1 million barrels per day. Oil prices shot up to over $100 US a barrel. And that is more than negative, Shani. Yes, it is. So there are two other important considerations around oil. The first is that supply tends to flex as prices change. We've been significant consumers of oil since the 1800s, and so we've tapped out a lot of the easy-to-get oil, which makes it more costly to produce. So right now, we still have some really cheap and easy-to-get oil, like in Saudi Arabia. Then we have harder and more expensive oil to get, like the oil sands in Canada and a fair amount of the fracking sources in the U.S. So if oil prices are below the cost, these sources stop producing oil which takes supply offline. When prices recover, those sources come back online. The other consideration is where a lot of oil comes from, and those are areas that have historically had geopolitical tensions and risks. Those have spilled over into issues that have impacted supply and increased prices. Examples include the Middle East and Venezuela, and currently includes Russia. And Russia is a good example because it's once again demonstrating that access to energy supplies is being used to try and manipulate the positions of other countries. We saw this in the 70s during the Arab oil embargo, and we are seeing it now with Russia cutting off supplies of natural gas to Europe. And finally, more than just the ebb and flow of demand through economic cycles, we have an organization, a cartel, that openly and deliberately works to manipulate oil prices and keep them up. That, of course, is OPEC, which has been in the news recently as they cut oil output to keep prices high. 
And many people are deeply upset at this decision, as high oil prices are one of the drivers of inflation. But anyway, the point of all of this is that there are lots of factors that influence energy prices. There are demand changes based on level of economic activity. There are supply changes based on different sources of supply that come on and offline based on prices. And there is open manipulation from OPEC. And finally, there is a dash of geopolitical instability that often rears its head. Morningstar Investor is built for investors by investors. It provides independent research and data on over 40,000 securities, tools to build and maintain an investment portfolio, and investor education resources to support you, regardless of where you are in your investing journey. Explore opportunities with our monthly global best ideas. Explore our ETF model portfolios. Plan better with two years of dividend forecasts for ASX-listed stocks. Stay informed with independent thought leadership. We've built tools to help you construct, monitor, and maintain your portfolio, including our Portfolio Manager. Integrated with one of Australia's leading portfolio tracking tools, ShareSight, Morningstar has been empowering investor success for over 35 years. We're passionate about your outcomes and are here every step of the way as you achieve them. Take out a free four-week trial to access our resources. Find the details in the episode notes. Okay, let's change tack and look at the role energy plays in the overall market. In Australia, the energy sector makes up around 5.75% of the ASX 300. That is higher than the US as energy clocks in at 3.25% of the S&P 500. And the MISCI Global Developed Markets Index has energy at around 5%. And now it's time to go back and talk about ESG considerations because it's impossible to have a discussion about energy without looking at their lack of inclusion in portfolios that take environmental, social and governance factors into account. For instance, if we turn to the beta shares, Global Sustainability Leaders ETF with the ticker symbol of ETHI, there is a 0% allocation to energy. If we look at BlackRock's iShare Miski World X Australia ESG Leaders ETF, With the ticker symbol of IHWL, there's only a 1% allocation to energy companies, which compares to 5% if there was not that ESG overlay. And environmental concerns are having several major impacts on investors. The first is illustrated by what Mark just talked about. At the end of the day, if a significant portion of the investing public declines to invest in energy shares, that's going to influence share prices. And we do need to be cognizant that more and more assets are flowing into ESG funds. And it is really difficult to quantify this impact, but there has been and will continue to be an impact. There are a couple other factors that influence these investments. The first is that in some cases, especially with coal miners, there are limits on funding and permits available to develop new mines. Traditionally, at times of high energy prices, many energy companies would invest in increasing their production levels. So many banks and sources of capital are refusing to fund these new projects, and so many governments are not issuing permits to expand production that it's a problem. And in the short to medium term, this is limiting new supply and of course making prices go up. But there's also long-run impact to demand as the world moves to the other sources of energy. That is, transitions to renewable sources and the shift away from petrol-based internal combustion engines. The long and the short of it is that there are lots of considerations for energy investors to look at, but an interesting phenomenon is taking place right now. First off, energy producers are undervalued, according to our analysts. 
If we look at the energy sector for Australian shares that our analysts cover, we can see that it's the cheapest sector. In fact, the price to value for energy companies under our coverage is 0.73. That means they are 27% undervalued, according to our analysts. Now, what is no doubt influencing the cheapness of this sector is the ESG considerations which causes many investors to avoid the sector. But there is another thing at play. We've got a sector that is trading for low valuations, and we have a bunch of companies that don't really have a lot of investment opportunities for the cash they're generating at a time of high prices for energy sources like coal, gas, and oil. And these companies with all this money are doing the only thing they can do. They're giving cash back to shareholders in the form of dividends and buybacks. So, Shani, let's talk about a couple opportunities that our analysts see. Well, we mentioned that we've had unprecedented highs for LNG or liquid natural gas, and we estimate a retreat in crude prices in 2024. So if you look at these prices normalizing, we see that Australian companies will remain very strong and they'll be bolstered by production growth from new development projects, which we'll speak about. Our analysts just put out their Q4 preview report and named three favorite ideas, Woodside, Santos and Beach Energy. And we won't go through each one, but Woodside is our favorite, and it's on our global best ideas list. Of the three Australian-based oil and gas producers, Woodside has the greatest exposure to global prices and has benefited the most from international exports. For Woodside, only about 20% of oil production is attributable to domestic gas, and domestic gas has steadier prices than international. We look at the other companies, Beach by contrast, has 60% of production serving the domestic gas market, while Santos sits between those two at about 40%. And domestic gas has a number of positives. The capital intensity is obviously a lot lower than exporting gas. You don't need to organise and pay for logistics to move. And pricing under term contracts that allow uh, that accounts for CPI as well. But there's a reason we prefer the international exposure that Woodside has, which is that international exports enjoy higher margins and export pricing is very attractive. Ultimately, we are investing in companies for future earnings, and we think that Woodside's earnings are stronger with that international exposure. And as it stands, we think that Woodside shares are trading at about a 25% discount to our fair value estimate. We really like the potential of the Pluto T2 project, which is designed to expand the export of liquefied natural gas from WA. We don't think the market is giving enough credit to this project, and is unnecessarily pessimistic about the future outcomes. We believe this will enable Woodside to grow output by 15% by 2027. And we think gas has a growing role to play in fueling the world going forward, no matter the level of renewable energy targets. One thing to be aware of is that energy has performed really well over the past year. It is by far the strongest sector in Australia, with a return of just above 26% over the last year. One of the fears facing energy investors now is that even though prices are high currently, if central banks raise interest rates, that throws the economy into a recession and will hurt demand. Well, there is a lot going on in the energy space. And, you know, Shani, we're just trying to keep up with the energy sector here, right? <laughs> so hopefully today investors got to realize what all those different influences on the sector are and the risks and how all of that can lead to volatility in the shares. And as we always say, it's important to understand the types of companies you're investing in and how they align with your goals, strategy, and temperament. And we hope that today's discussion gave you a little bit more background on this sector. 
All right. Well, thank you guys very much for putting up with my terrible analogies, according to Shani, (laughs) and everything else in our energy episode. But we would love comments, feedback. And of course, you can always email me. My email address is in the show notes. Any advice in this podcast is general advice or regulated financial advice under New Zealand law prepared by Morningstar Australasia Proprietary Limited and or Morningstar Research Limited without reference to your financial objectives, situations or needs. You should consider the advice in light of these matters and any relevant product disclosure statement before making any decision to invest. To obtain advice for your own situation, contact a financial advisor.